Hello and welcome to the Second Row Podcast. My name is Port Kelly and this week Ushin is on his holliers in Italy. So I'm joined again with Andrew Barker. Hi Porik, thanks for having me back. No problem, you were very good last time and you're very good to be back again this week. Don't forget everyone, the Sekiro podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, pretty much everywhere. So don't forget to rate, like, subscribe, tell a friend, all those important things that we need to grow. Now, that's all the housekeeping done. This yeah. week we're talking about round 19 of the Pro 14, but first of all, we'll take a look at the news. And so starting first with the Hong Kong Sevens, we have Ireland's qualification. It's a yes. Yes, we have broken into that World Series of Sevens Rugby starting from the very bottom rung, worked their full way up. They might have done it a year or two ago, but it's great to see them do it now, especially on a weekend when Fiji showed why they're just such a good team, like winning the main series again. Ireland are always going to struggle when they're invited to random competitions and they can't get any kind of continuity. Having come through this qualification process, there'll be now regular features on the tour. Hopefully this is another channel for young players to come build up towards a green jersey of Ireland in 7s or 15s. From the Irish Sevens doing so well to the Irish women having to qualify for the next Women's World Cup for the first time ever. Yeah, it's not a great situation for the Irish women's team. I think, generally speaking, I think everyone is in agreement they need more support from the IRFU that they're just not getting at the moment. So many former players over the last couple of months have come out scathing of the IRFU treatment of the women's game and there's only so long that that goodwill they've built up over the years will last and the public will want to see results from the RFU's perspective, not just the people on the pitch. It's not even just about results. I think it's also about respect. I think the disparity between the type of support you see for the men's game versus the women's game is something that just needs to be frankly addressed at this point. And seeing what the likes of England and France can do every Six Nations, just showing the gulf in preparation that there just seems to be. Yeah, well, I mean, you're always going to have a massive gulf when you've got a professional team versus a team that has to work full time. Very true. And our final bit of news, there's been a few big name retirements. Israel Dag has retired through injury. Yeah, it's a massive, massive loss. He's always been a great player and I think someone that we've all admired and looked up to, particularly if you're a young player. Definitely. And on the home front, Darren Cave has retired after his 13-year career with Ulster. Yeah, Darren Cave has been an absolute stalwart of a player for Ulster over the last couple of years and uh, it'll be sad to see him go. And that brings us on to the Pro 14 action of the weekend and Glasgow and Ulster kicked everything off. And in the end, it was a pretty comfortable 30 points to 7 win for Glasgow. Yeah, Ulster seemed like they were still licking their wounds a little bit from last week. They just didn't seem to be able to get it up to the same level of intensity two weeks in a row, which is understandable at times. It was very sluggish. I actually had Ulster pinned for a win here, thinking if they could replicate some of that intensity, Glasgow showed they can't really cope with someone bullying them. And that's what Ulster were kind of doing to Leinster the week before. It's funny, at the game started, I would have agreed with you, for about the first five minutes... Ulster came out of the blocks, they were on fire, there was great intensity, and then they just stalled, and they never really seemed to be able to regain that momentum. Their mall, which had been a weapon for them this season, getting that first try, but from that point on, Glasgow just took hold of the ball and controlled pretty much every aspect of the game, to the point where they got to 30 points and 7 up. Yeah, it seemed like Glasgow were kind of asleep at the wheel, they were slow to start, and then as soon as Ulster went over, they kind of jumped into life and right, right, we have a game here and stuck it into gear. Yeah, the Glasgow pack just upped their level. The Glasgow backs, their lines are just incredible. Hogg and Matualu were creating so many issues for Ulster. Yeah, they, we know this now. Like Stuart Hogg can create opportunities from pretty much nowhere. You surround him with a good pack and some go-forward ball, he's always going to cause you difficulties. And on a night where Ulster couldn't create their own luck at times, when they did get those chances, they just fell short again. 
Or sometimes they didn't fall short. They went over the line and just didn't put it down. Yeah, Luke Marshall, did he not learn from Stockdale? He should have dived over a ball on his chest and got that ball to ground. He's just trying to slide down on his bum somehow. Like, new training drill on Monday. Sliding over and touching the ball down. Yeah. And Little got stopped just short in the second half as well. For me, that felt like that ball hit the line. But it was millimetres either way. It was millimetres either way, but I suppose that's the point of the TMO. If the ref can't call it on a pitch, you go to the TMO. If the TMO can't find video evidence, you can't give it. You can't make the assumption. In the good old days, it would have been a try. <laughs> oh, categorically. If there was no TMO, this would have been a try. Yeah, back in the day, as in last year, when not every match was televised. Yeah, that was poor. But I say what Glasgow fans won't exactly be happy about with two games left to go and trying to hold on to that top spot in Conference A is the second they got to 30 points to 7 up, they switched off. That was 25, 30 minutes without a score. Yeah, they kind of took their foot off the gas and you don't want to see that at this part of the season when you're still fighting for a position. If this was any other side and they weren't as far back, Glasgow could have found themselves in a lot of trouble. They did have the job done at that point. Ulster lacked that intensity, lacked that ferocity they had in contact. I expected more from Treadwell, Herring, Moore, O'Sullivan, who had just great games the week before, but it must have taken its toll. Yeah, I suppose you. it's hard to ask any player to live up to that same level of intensity. Like, you take any set of players and move them from one week in a stadium with 52,000 supporters going mental, it's just going to be impossible to rise to that same level of intensity two weeks in a row. And with four teams looking to qualify for the playoffs and the Champions Cup in Conference B, Ulster need to right that ship very quickly. They don't have an awful lot of matches left. They're going to have to get everything addressed in a very, very short period of time. We'll move on to Glasgow's Conference A rivals, Munster v Cardiff in an all-Conference A affair. And what a game this was in contrast. Lots of scores, lots of action. Munster coming out 45 points to 21 after a really thrilling 80 minutes of rugby. I don't think the scoreline fully does this game justice. For anyone who didn't see it, it was an absolute game for the neutral. I sat and watched this game and it was by far, for me, the best game of the weekend. I can't disagree with that. Lots of tries, lots of great set-piece work by Cardiff. Well, when they could get their hands on the ball anyway from their own line-out. Yeah, when they could get their hands on the ball, Cardiff looked dangerous. And I think at times, it was a combination of experience and some high-caliber subs that the scoreline doesn't do justice to Cardiff. Like me and Oshin talked about many times in the season, set-piece, first-phase ball, have got Cardiff one try, actually, and a good work off their first phase of another line-out got them their second try. It's a real weapon for them. Absolutely killer lines and a uh, few quick passes. Great play to see from Cardiff. Munster for themselves, though, played with incredible intensity, which did drop when Murray went off for his HIA. It does seem like he's getting some of his old form back again. Oh, absolutely. Just on a quick note for his HIA assessment. For anyone who didn't see it, the welt he got was massive, about the size of a golf ball when he went off. I was really surprised to see him return to the field of play, but from a Munster perspective, they must have been delighted because he is playing with probably the best form that I have seen all season from Murray. That fed into the Munster pack being on top. Some of their carries had really good intensity, pretty much dominating the game line. Just their own sloppiness and execution was poor. Yeah, that's something they're going to need to tidy up on in the next coming games, to really hold on and look after the ball when they're carrying. They were lucky that Navidian Williams weren't playing because they were getting targeted at the breakdown. That's definitely true. I think if there had been a couple of poachers on the opposition side for Cardiff, Munster wouldn't have found themselves with as much go-forward or front football. And there's, there are times they're just making poor decisions. You could tell they really wanted to get some momentum after last week's win and just put on a score. But they were forcing the issue at times. 
Yeah, I think what was nice to see is that when Conor Murray did come back on having passed his HIA, he really put his authority, and I think from a Munster perspective, this game was controlled through nine, through and through. And that was also told by the way Munster controlled the tempo of the game. They tried to, they kicked a touch a lot, made sure they found grass for their kicks. It was really impressive to see them just control a game in large aspects of it. Yeah, that was one aspect for me that I felt Murray probably improved the most on was his kicking. His kicking was exceptional through the entire game. Even though the first half of this game was fairly tight and really good competition, it was the Munster bench that really did make the difference. And you could tell there was just a higher caliber of player coming on. Munster are in a really lucky position because the quality of subs that they were able to bring off the bench. Look at the examples like CJ Sander, Ty Byrne. Not only did they have an impact as individuals, but they led by example from the front and the rest of the team followed. Yeah, CJ with a great try where he just seemed to get the ball in the Cardiff 5 meter line goes, you know what, sod all this mess and I'm going to run for the try line and dot it down beautifully. And I think Ty Byrne showed exactly what to do with a rook. He came on and stamped his authority all over the rook. He counter-rooked uh, successfully and made himself a general nuisance. That is what rooking should be. That moment, 62 minutes, I think everyone should just go and look it out. It's just, he gets underneath and just creates that gap so Munster could just turn over the ball. It was really, really good. Going forward, though, for Munster, they'd be happy. Their maul was really strong throughout this game. like And their line-out, offensively and defensively, was impeccable. This is something they seem to have been working on over the course of the season, and I think now you're starting to see the fruits of their labours. Cardiff, on the other hand, they have a huge game next week against Connacht. They'll be hoping to keep those attacking lines going on and keep those set-piece first-phase tries going. That's something Connacht are definitely going to have to look out for. It's a definite attacking threat that Cardiff posed for you guys going into next week. But they definitely did miss Navidi and Williams, like I said earlier on. They're just less effective at the breakdown. They can slow down the ball, but they're not winning those essential turnovers. You also get from Williams a massive engine that carries, and he's just difficult to put down. I'll be hoping he won't be back next week, but who knows. Munster, though, their defensive alignment was a bit at sea in that first half. The set-piece tries, which we which we mentioned, and that was tends to be just heads up and numbers being wrong. It's also communication. It seems like they got pulled in the different directions because of the set moves and then gaps appear. And so moving on now to the Cheetahs-Ospreys game. Yeah, on Saturday there was four matches and in another all-conference A affair, Cheetahs lost to Ospreys 14 points to 31 and I was actually shocked by that result. Yeah, I was surprised and disappointed with the performance from Cheetahs. I think they kind of lacked direction and didn't really seem to know what their game plan was. It's really weird. Both these teams had a week off last week. You think they were doing fresh and firing on all cylinders, but there's just so many errors. I suppose when you have a break off, the one side of it you can look at is you have an extra week to prepare, you have an extra week of training, but at the same time you lose your momentum. And it showed on the scoreboard that these teams didn't have momentum because 25 minutes to get a score for either team. Particularly as well with these two teams and the type of rugby they like to play, their style tends to be open, loose passes, and generally this isn't the type of score that we would normally expect to see, particularly from a Cheetahs game. This game could have easily had four to five more tries per team. Not like across the board, but easily per team. The number of times where there was a break made by either side and they would knock the ball on or throw a pass that wasn't on and just butcher the opportunity. For me, it just screams of rustiness and that week off just hasn't helped either side but Ospreys were worth their lead by the end of the first half their mall had been fairly dominant Cheetahs just couldn't handle it and a lot of what they did was based off good structured forward play yeah it was good to see that when things weren't going as well in terms of fancy back play and throwing loose passes they decided to tighten things up a bit and that really really played out well for Ospreys then in the first half whereas Cheetahs just couldn't make up their mind what they wanted to do 
they did start the second half perfectly with a great try, literally off the first kickoff and first attack. It was a wonderful, well put together piece of work and a well deserved score. Tiprick though strikes back immediately and wins what is a really well deserved penalty. But you and I both looked back at the footage again and agreed, shouldn't it have been a try? He wins a penalty, then takes the tap and go from the side of the penalty, not behind where he won the penalty from. It's just he was on the wrong mark. Yeah, he literally put his hands into the side of the rook and uh, tapped and goed from there. So it shouldn't have been a try. In all fairness, it's one of many tries that Cheat has conceded. I don't think they're going to come away with this game with a win because Ospreys were just able to put a few faces together when they needed to and get scores. Continuity is always a key aspect of rugby that if you can hold onto the ball, the other opposition side can't score. Simple. The last score of this game came from a penalty. Uh, Ospreys were 28 points to 14 up and kicked the three. They're still mathematically in the hunt for third place in Conference A. They might need a points difference. That's just bad decision making. Yeah, I don't really know what the logic was in the pitch there. It's not like they were trying to close out the game with a minute to go. They literally looked like they wanted to take a break. With that type of attitude, Kings are a team that can do a number on you if you're not careful. And playing Cardiff on the final day of the season, they won't get a result like that. Yeah, I think you've said it perfectly. It's attitude. If they're not going to have the right kind of attitude, I don't see them making the playoffs. Cheetahs are now out of it, but looking towards the last couple of games and next season, the type of completion rate needs to go up. Yeah, I think the tackle rate, completion rate by the end of this match was about 70%. Per team. Like, both teams are fairly weak in this area. Yeah, but we know from the course of this season and last season, it's something in particular that Cheetahs have struggled with. But at least they were able to correct the dominance Ospreys had in the mall by the final 20 minutes. They managed to string together some kind of a defence and neutralise the threat that Ospreys had from their mall. So that is one positive they can take away from the game. Ospreys put up a score away in Bloemfontein. Not a lot of teams do that. No, and they came away from the bonus point, so that was the primary objective rather than a points difference, so we can't be too harsh. At the same time as that thriller was being played, the worst game of rugby of the weekend was being played in Parma. Zebra hosted Connacht, and Connacht squeaked out a 6.5 victory. How nervous were you? I was very nervous the whole way through. It was incredible. The thing is, we started this game like it was a cup game, like it was a proper knockout game. We got a penalty in the first couple of minutes, we took the three, we're like, no, 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 none of this messing around. Straight for the posts. I think that's underrated though. I think one of the important things that most teams seem to forget nowadays is the importance of scoreboard pressure. So I think taking the three points is the right decision. We forgot about that though after 20 minutes. We're only, we're 6-0 up. We should have been more, but we just weren't clinical enough in the Zebra 22. Our scrum was dominant, but we kept going back to the scrum clearly thinking we could work a penalty try or at least get one of their players binned and then that didn't happen Zebra turned over possession and cleared most times to be fair to Zebra they had absolute nerve to be able to hold out and it was really good defense so credit to Zebra for keeping you out their defensive effort was huge and they made a mess of every rook legally and illegally but my whole mantra is if the ref's gonna let that happen you have to be stronger at rook time to blow past it all from day one, from when I ever started playing, you were always told, play the ref. If the ref doesn't stop you from doing it, you keep going. And and Zebra did. Um, Connacht then didn't score for the next 60 minutes. In which case, what happened? Like, What happened to your nerves? Oh, They just got worse and worse and worse. A lack of edge. We started forcing everything. Stupid knock-ons. It was mad. And then to make matters worse, the very opening of the second half, Zebra scored try. To be fair, I think it was a really, really nice piece of interplay. There was incredible pace, good hands down the touchline, and a really, really effective use of small space. 
Um, it was a well-worked try for Zebri. Yeah, their handling has been very good this season. They've been looking for those type of tries in, in small spaces, kind of like Benetton. They're playing the same blueprint of rugby, but I think Benetton just playing it at a better level and better standard. It's almost like there's someone above both teams pulling the strings. Shocking. Shocking. But this game had no rhythm whatsoever. And to be honest, Con are lucky that Zebri did not have a line-out that functioned in any way, shape or form, or someone that could kick. They left eight points behind them. At the end of the day, that was the margin between the two. The margin was one. Yeah, looking forward, I don't think Con can take much out of this game, to be honest. We won a game that we should have lost. That's all we can take from it. And sometimes you ride your own luck. We have beaten a two-loss streak in Parma. It's one of those places where you just need to get a win to get that out of your system. Yeah, you just need to get the monkey off your back so now you can move forward, start fresh, don't think about it again. Zebra, though, credits them. They fought to the bitter end. Yeah, I think that's true. Zebra's defence was epic in terms of their ability to try and stop keep you guys out and I think the other aspect is neither team particularly played in the right part of the pitch. Zebra's discipline was terrible. I think other refs would have lost patience and maybe communicate things a bit differently but like you said earlier you just have to play the ref. It's a valid point you just made. When you have a ref who communicates clearly with the players on the pitch you tend to get a more free-flowing game. When you have a ref that doesn't communicate with the players, it becomes an awful lot more stop, start, stop, start. Because everyone's trying to guess the interpretation. And that's all I can handle talking about that game because the sooner next week comes around, the better. It's okay, we'll move on. <laughs> <laughs> Look, Scarlet's host Edinburgh next up and lost 12 points to 20. And you would not have thought that at halftime. No, this was definitely the cliched game of two halves. Two very, very different halves. Scarlet started really strong like they looked like the team of old yeah it was vintage Scarlet's like the Scarlet side that we loved to watch last season suddenly shone through but only for about 40 minutes yeah they scored two great tries because of great hands great support lines and just great work one to 15 absolutely every single man on that pitch played as if the number on his back didn't matter and then again that goes back to what we saw last year from them there was great interplay between the forwards and the backs great hands and again like similar to the try we saw in the zebra game really good use of space this is not to take anything away from scars but edinburgh did look labored from an edinburgh standpoint i think they were still struggling a bit from last week the legs were still tired the bodies were still sore it doesn't really help when your 10 vandervelt was just mad Mad, hot, cold, hot, cold, 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 hot. Like, if I don't know what he's going to do next, imagine what it's like playing with him. You kind of want to know what your 10 is planning to do maybe in the next 10 seconds so you can kind of plan for it and get in the right position. But I mean, from a neutral watching it, it was really entertaining. Yeah, like, his decision making was crazy, but his execution was just as crazy. His execution was sublime and terrible. All within a minute of one another. Some of his kicks through for territory were probably rivaling the equivalent of Ronan O'Gara. Excellent spot that the uh, winger was pushed forward and then kicked and slotted it down within the five metre line. Which, let's be honest, that could have gone dead. I mean, for a brief minute I thought it did, but uh, linesman gave it to him. (laughs) They didn't actually make anything from that though, which is a bit annoying. But it's the same idea from before. If you're playing territory and you're in the right area of the pitch, you're less likely to concede points. But on 50 minutes, we noticed a moment that was like a microcosm of the game to that point. Darcy Graham makes an incredible break for Edinburgh, but there's literally no support, not even anyone to like help him. Yeah, this was in total contrast to the Scarlet breaks in the first half. In the first half, every single time a Scarlet player made a break, there was two, three options either side, 
that he could offload. And then if he wasn't offload, wasn't on, or the pass wasn't on, it meant that there was Scarlet's player there to resource the rook. You got quick recycling. That was in total contrast to what we saw from Edinburgh. There was either nobody there at all, or if there was, the breakdown became such a mess that in one of the cases, the break led to a rushed pass that was thrown straight into touch. Madness. Complete madness. This game started a change in the second half in Edinburgh's favour, but definitely on the 60-minute mark. That completely unnecessary neck roll by Halfpenny just seemed to give Edinburgh this second wind. Yeah, it absolutely ignited a fire, particularly in the forwards of Edinburgh, and they turned into a different side, the side that we'd seen the previous week. But it was Darcy Graham, who was a talisman, really, with a break to set up a try. So he had, what, one, two, three, maybe four breaks over the course of the game. The difference was, though, this time there was support. This time, because the fire was lit, there was people there and they were able to capitalise on the opportunity. And Halfpenny would not want to see this match back. A net crawl that killed his own team getting a try, then an intercept that led to an Edinburgh try. I would love to be in the meeting on Monday to hear what justification he gives for giving that offload. Why he thought throwing that pass was in any way going to lead to a good outcome is beyond me. But from here on in, Edinburgh didn't look like losing. Like Their fitness just seemed to hit a level that Scarlet's couldn't reach. Yeah, Scarlet's just seemed to drop away, and both in intensity but also just their ability to maintain the line. What I also noticed as well was that the Scarlet's defensive line, which had been pretty well structured the entire way through the game suddenly started to narrow as players became more tired and the multitude of scars shooting themselves in the foot like you swear they had a double barrel shotgun at aimed at their toes at times yeah they seemed to be fans of self-inflicted misery they did everything not to win the game especially not scoring for 55 minutes at the end of the day if you don't score points you can't win the game that's a nice cliche to end that <laughs> to end that match with. Um, following on from that game, Leinster hosted Benetton, a team that are now Leinster's bogey team in the RDS. Previously, it used to be Ospreys. Every time Ospreys came to the RDS, it used to be a bad day at the office for Leinster. But I think now Benetton truly occupied that position or that title of our bogey team. Yeah, the only two times Leinster haven't won in the RDS have been against Benetton. Losing last year and a draw 27-27 this year. Yeah, but to be credit to Benetton, I think they deserve the draw and you could probably argue they deserve the win. I will be arguing they deserve the win. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Remember I was nice to you when we talked about the Connors game. Well, the thing is, Leinster didn't play overly badly across this game, just lacked a bit of cohesion. I think it was a lot of good individual performances, not a good 1-15 through performance. Yeah, I think that's fair, but there's another thing to consider. Over these last few games, there's been a lot of chopping and changing and trying new combinations. And so whenever you get these new combinations, you're always going to lose a certain level of cohesion across 1 to 15. Well, that back rows play together quite a lot. That second row pairings play together quite a lot. Yeah, the halfbacks haven't, but the centre partnership has and the back three have. Like, There's lots of cohesion in the partnerships. But then you're going from a Heineken Cup weekend where you've got one team playing and then the following week you've got another team playing. So just like we saw with the Scarlet side when they had a week off, it's really weird that Leinster are effectively do have two teams. I expect them to switch it on with a week's notice. Going forward as a Leinster fan, what I'm hoping now to see in the next couple of weeks is that Leo Conlon settles on one side and that one side plays consistently. We have two league games and two knockout games that we need to finish well. We've had a really good season up until now, but until you win whatever title you're going for, it means nothing. Yeah, and some of the defensive work here you really want to bring forward to those to those games as well. Like, you really held Benetton out on times when they should have been taking points and scoring tries. I think 
credit to Benetton, though, you could say the exact same thing about Benetton. I think Leinster started quite well, and I think the ferocity of the tackles from Benetton and the line speed in particular for the first five minutes from Benetton was probably as good as I've seen from any side in the league this year. Yeah, that's fair. They've been a very defensively strong team all season, just seem to be better with 14 on the pitch than 15. Um, Yeah, maybe they should work on that. I think they should have taken uh, the three on offer at times, though. They were too focused on going for tries when keeping that scoreboard ticking over in the first half especially might have been more beneficial. Scoreboard pressure, scoreboard pressure, scoreboard pressure. It's always crucial. What I was surprised at though, in the first half, Leinster did give away a lot of penalties in their red zone and didn't get a warning. In many ways, we kind of got lucky. Nigel was kind of didn't want to send anyone to the bin because he didn't want to kill the game. But... Which is really the big talking point in this game. McFadden hitting a Benetton player in the head with his shoulder. Now, I will admit, at the time when I was watching the game, I thought I agreed with Nigel. I did agree with Nigel. I thought it was a clear out. He went under the player and that it was the end of all counter-rooking. However, this morning I turned up and Porek pointed out some very, very, very damning video footage, which clearly shows McFadden making contact with the side of the head and should have gone to the bin. With player welfare such a hot topic on a constant basis, he should have gone to the bin. But what annoyed me about it is Nigel did everything to make his decision the right decision. There's this inability in him to say he made a mistake in those situations. It's really frustrating. There's another point that I picked up on as well, which is when talking to the TMO, he talked about intent. And it's something we hear an awful lot about from commentators, from pundits at halftime or before the game. Oh, that was a really harsh yellow card because of intent. If you look at the letters of the law, intent isn't mentioned. But what we're starting to see now is Nigel said it, and I've heard other refs recently starting to mention it too. And so that's something we kind of need to keep an eye on because we don't want refs introducing interpretations of the rule that's coming from commentators. And if you look at the red card in the Racing Toulouse match, the guy going in for the tackle wasn't aiming for his throat, but he threw it at a guy. It's a red card. It's this situation. McFadden had no intent to hit the guy in the temple, but he didn't get low enough. It's a binning at least. Yeah, I don't think there's any rugby player that's ever gone on the pitch with the intent to injure another player. I think the biggest killer for Benetton, though, looking at that, is the fact that Leinster scored a try off that penalty. They did, but at the same time, I will give Leinster some credit. It was a really nice, well-worked move that cut the defence open, and it was a well-taken try. It, it was an opportunity that we got because of the ref, but you have to pay the ref and put the op- play the opportunities that are put in front of you. That's fair. But Benetton did not give up. They came here for points and they they left here with at least two. If you were watching Benetton Treviso, you probably could have confused them with an Irish side in green. The, what, 30 phases of unbroken play as the clock went red, diehard, crossed the line, held up short and went again and then battered their way over to a well-deserved draw. And that fight already stands them with the two matches they have remaining. Munster and Zebre. They'll need every point they can take from them to have any hope of qualifying for the Champions Cup and the knockout rounds of the Pro 14. And like I said earlier on, I think Leinster can really pinpoint some standout individual performances. Luke McGrath was finding form again. Barry Daly at fullback was great. And I think having fired in the team when Leinster rotate as much as they do is so important. Yeah, his experience stood out for one moment in particular. It was a conversation between Noel Reed and Luke McGrath about whether or not they were going to go for points or go for the corner for a mall. And, uh, Fardy wandered over, tapped on the shoulder and pointed towards the post and then uh, the correct decision was made. Take the points. One other interesting point that the listeners might be interested in is in the conversation of player welfare and head injuries, 
uh, I found myself in the committee box for the Leinster game and I have a couple of times this season and what's really really promising to see is I didn't realize this until I was there they have a physio with a tablet and analyzes pretty much every contact that takes place over the course of the game and they're looking to see if any players from either side are experiencing any kind of concussion-related injuries. If any contact looks suspect, it's raised with a doctor, and then that's relayed onto the pitch. So that's a really interesting aspect of player welfare that I wasn't aware of. It's not a neutral doctor, it's a Leinster physio. So it's a Leinster physio who uh, analyses the the live footage. He has access to all of the feeds that are available, not just the live footage that's on the TV. And, for example, if he spots something for the Cheetahs game that I was at, he spotted one of the players that took a knock in the bottom of a rook and that was raised with the medical team for the cheetah side. That's incredible. I can only hope that's at every ground in this Pro 14. I don't know if this is exclusive to Leinster or not, but it was really good to see. And we'll move on to the final game played on Sunday at 2 o'clock. Southern Kings hosted Dragons and in a game that had no right to be as good as it was for how bad it was, an 18-point all draw just seemed the right outcome. Like a nil-all draw probably would have been a more correct outcome based on how most of the people played on this pitch. A King's Dragons draw, rugby loses. Yeah, in a game that had, what, 1.4 yellow cards? All in the bin, all at the same time. It was madness. But Dragons started really well. Yeah, they had some absolutely beautiful hands between each other and some great interplay um, and started really well. They also had some really good kicking, I thought, as well. When they executed well. For the last couple of games, they've been making sure to play the game in the opposition's half. Just sometimes the execution isn't always perfect. I think, like most things Dragons did today, the execution wasn't always perfect or near it. No, and then you could make the same point then about the King's pack. At times, the King's pack is terrible. But when they start building phases and taking their time, they're actually a really good unit. They just, at times, seem to lack direction. They need a Scott Fardy, a grizzled 30-year-old, 30-plus-year-old, being there, done that player to come in and go, look, this is what we do in these situations. This is how we win games. Especially your pack needs those type of guys. And Kings seem to lack those leaders. Yeah, they need it when things aren't going well. They need a pack leader who puts up their hand and goes, guys, cop on. This is what we're doing. I think the other way they need a bit more direction, though, is also from halfback either scrum half or a 10. They're really, really struggling with a good 10 to marshal the pitch and point them in the right direction it's like there's a car that's driving aimlessly around with no driver at the wheel yeah like they butchered so many opportunities i think dragons and kings must have had money on with the bookies of how many tries could we not score yeah but then again it shows there is potential there in the kings and i don't think we should give up on them just yet i think they do show that they have potential when they finally did manage to string a couple of phases together that ultimately led to their first try and their good work in the pack from the mall Got them the second try with a lovely smart kick through and finish. Absolutely. Now, it was a nice bounce of the ball, but you have to play the bounce of the ball. There was good support play and an incredible pace to finish it. Once again, though, in the second half, Dragons started the better. Yeah, again, it seemed like they had a team talk. They were brought in. Guys, what are we doing? This is the plan. And then started well. But Kings got a soccer punch of a try then to make this an 18.8 game. I thought, all right, they're going to just ride this out from here. There was two things that I thought were going to happen. I thought Kings would maybe play a bit more conservatively and ride it out. And I thought we would see, as we have seen many times earlier in the season, Dragons would just give up. They would infight and that would be the end of the game. However, that's not what we got. We got one of the maddest 20 minutes of rugby. I've seen four yellow cars in the space of five minutes. Two from one scrum where two props got binned after no warnings and just 
off you go, there's a sideline. Yeah, and what was particularly entertaining then is obviously we still had to have that scrum. A pair of flankers had to go off, so we ended up with four players sitting in a row on the side of the pitch. Then there was two more yellow cards, one from each side. So we ended up with six players in a row. It was a bench of naughty seats. It was incredible. Yet no one scored a point in that period when there were 13 men aside. I really think the ref was trying to make a game of it. He was like, look, if I take off two players from each side, it'll open up a bit and a game of rugby might break out. Kings were actually lucky not to be down an extra man. I think it's a combination of luck and unluck. Dragons were incredibly unlucky and Kings were lucky not to go down with a third man. Jordan Williams put a lovely kick through and behind and just after he put the kick through, it wasn't even a tackle. He got pulled down by the jersey from the shoulder. I've seen refs give that as a yellow card and a penalty try. I think one of the two should have happened. Possibly you could argue that it was far enough away from the try line that you can't say a try was definitely going to be scored. It's probable. So I think for me it was definitely yellow. Yellow and a try might have been harsh, but... No, the letter of the law is probable probable try, not definite. Well, the try have probably been scored. So if there was an opportunity and you take that player out, so you take the person who pulled him back out of the situation and you put the ball in his hands, would he have scored a try? Probably. So What effect does dragons have on the probability? None. <laughs> <laughs> you can't ref for the team they are. That's true. And I think, again, it comes back to what I was trying to say before. Dragons didn't give up, and I think it would have been really easy for them to drop the heads then at that point and just go, look, it's just not our day. Like, they got back into this 18 points aside. I am surprised, though. Two minutes left. They have a penalty. They're going for the win, but they take the three. I'm sure they're backing themselves to go up the field and score again, but they haven't looked like they're going to do that. Yeah, and they didn't exactly have a, a large number of opportunities to visit the 22 for King, so when they were there... Why did they not try and take some kind of a mall setup or set up some kind of a set training guide move? It seemed to just lack confidence. And with the season they've had, that's not surprising. I think come out there with some points is better than no points. Some points is definitely better than no points. But two games left. These guys are rooted to the bottom of Conference B. Kings this season and for the next two games, their rook work has been good. It's something they can bring forward. But defensively, they need to improve. And as we've highlighted already, is like Dragons, if this was the first, second, third round of the Pro 14, we would have seen this Dragon side melt away into a puddle. Uh, it was really good to see them dig in and grind out a well-deserved two points. Yeah, even if Kings did leave six points behind on the tee. Yeah, that wasn't great. Something else both sides need to work on, tackling. Like, the tackling from both sides in that game was very poor. Yeah, it was. And with that, that's every game of the week done. And we'll have a quick look at the conference tables. Starting in Conference A, Glasgow Irish are on top on 71 points, only three points ahead of Munster. The next two games for both these teams are critical in the hunt for that home semi-final. In third at Connacht, and after that win in Parma, are four points ahead of Cardiff on 52. Ospreys are on fifth with 49 points. Still in the hunt for third and fourth, but they do need favours from other teams. Cheetahs and Zebra are the bottom two spots, 36 and 19 points respectively. In Conference B, Leinster are on top, we'll move on. Below them, Ulster, Benetton and Edinburgh are all within three points of each other. Ulster on 54, Benetton 52 and Edinburgh on 51. Scarlet's not quite out of the hunt for those playoff spots, but like Ospreys, they still need favours. The Kings and Dragons, after that draw, still bottom on 22 and 21 points respectively. It's great to see the conference tables this tight so late into the season. So much to play for with 
two rounds left to play. And we'll move on to the second row top performer and count the round. And we do love hearing from all you guys listening. So do get in touch with us on facebook.com forward slash the second row or on Instagram and Twitter where we're at the second row. That is 2ND, not the word second. And I'm going to let you, Andrew, our guest, give the second row top performer this week. Who have you gone for? Thanks, Borg. It's very kind of you. Oshin will tell you when he's back on next week. My pick for top performer isn't my favorite player in the world. Never really has been. For me, my top performer of the round is David Kilcoyne. Over the course of this season, he has a massive build in form and performances. But for me, this game in particular highlights just how much he's improved as a player. His work rate around the park, he seems far more mobile and agile. And I think he's doing an awful lot of good work to secure himself as the second choice for Ireland going to the World Cup. That's a good choice. I'd like to give a special mention to Halafihi for Benetton. He had a great performance for them. And do you want to talk us through your clown of the round? Yeah, the second row clown around. The There's a few options this week. I'll go through the special mentions first. All commentary this weekend have been trying to make, when a pass goes long and hits the ground before someone collects it, they've called the term a bounce pass. That's not a thing. We don't play basketball. That's just, stop making a thing. Just stop that now. I think Mark Bennett in the Edinburgh match, and he's only not getting it because they got away with it, with a hospital pass near the end of the first half. But what I think for me, it's got to be from the Cheetahs Ospreys match. William Smallsmith for an attempted smart 22 dropout that completely messed up and just gave Ospreys all the momentum in the world. It was mad. What was funny still is that just after that happened, his teammate just looked down at him and went, what have you done? <laughs> but the funny thing is, in the Scarlet's match, we saw a proper one done by, by Scarlet's, a quick 22 tap and they were up the end of the pitch and they scored it was great it was really well executed so that just shows the fine lines between executing glory and making an absolute shambles of yourself that's the joys of the clown around so this week's second row top performer is dave kilcoyne and our second row clown around is william smallsmith and that brings us nicely to next week's matches round 20 of the pro 14 there are some big big games here. I think this really highlights just how much the league has come on and how well the conference system works. We have what, five, six teams that are all fighting for contention and we've got two games left to go. It's great to see. We start off on Friday evening at six o'clock. Benetton hosts Munster. From a Leinster perspective, I would say uh, good luck. (laughs) I'm going to be saying these words a lot. This team needs a win here because we're at that stage of the season. Benton need to win this to keep their playoff hopes alive. Munster need to win this if they want to catch Glasgow. I really hope you somehow haven't managed to give a commentator's curse to both teams there. A draw. (laughs) Also on Friday night, Southern Kings host Ospreys. Ospreys, once again, need to win here if they have any hope of catching Cardiff or Connacht for that third spot or even fourth. And Southern Kings need some pride. Well, yeah. (laughs) The game kicking off latest on Friday night... Edinburgh host Ulster. This is one of two crunch in-conference matches. Absolutely. Neither side can afford to lose this game. It is going to be brilliant. If Ulster and Edinburgh can play like they did in the Champions Cup quarterfinals, this will be a game we'll be talking about for a long time to come. Yeah, it'll be an absolute game for the neutrals, hopefully. Then on Saturday, it all starts with Connacht hosting Cardiff in the sports ground. And third place in Conference A is the goal from that game. And how confident are you? Well, after every bad performance, we've won at home. So I'm hoping that trend continues. But look, I'm not going to call it either way. Cardiff are a very strong team, not to be taken lightly. And they are 
this year's good Welsh team, even if their form has been a bit up and down. Yeah, and so kicking off at the exact same time on Saturday, we have Leinster versus Glasgow in the RDS. Leinster with very little to play for, but they want to start getting the rotation of players just right to peak for their knockout competitions. Exactly. We need to see some kind of consistency in the squad now so we can start to build some momentum as we close out the season. And if Glasgow don't win, they might not get that weekend off that the being a semi-finalist can get them. Yeah, that weekend off will be crucial just for healing the bodies and preparing for the next week. But they'll know what they need to do after the night before because they'll know Munster's result. Moving on then to Saturday evening, we have Scarlets versus Zebra. I'm expecting a Scarlets backlash here. They have to put a full 80 minutes together just for themselves. If Scarlets can put together 80 minutes of what we saw in the first 40 minutes from the match this weekend, I would be worried if I was a Zebra fan. That's fair. Then the final game of the evening is Cheetahs v Dragons, and that could be a really good game or a really bad game. It has the, it has that possibility to be both. That'll depend on which two teams decide to turn up. Are Cheetahs going to remember or learn how to tackle it between now and next week? And are Dragons going to remember how to hold on to the ball? <laughs> Fair. And that's us for this week. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll be back next week to talk all of the Round 20 Pro 14 action and have a look forward to those European semi-finals that Munster and Leinster are both in. So until then, goodbye and thanks again for listening. Take care, everyone.